welcome along to the podcast. It's myself, John Wood, and uh, there's another lady that I can see on the screen. Excuse me, who are you? Oh, a lady. I'm liking that. It's Alison Craig here with you for uh, a, a bit of a special this week, isn't it? It's yeah. a little bit different to our normal podcasting, but uh, there is a bit of waffle from us, but uh, we've got a bit of a star on this week. We have indeed. It's, uh, uh, well, you, you'll know her, as, as everybody knows her, as Elaine C. Smith, the C standing for Constance. Not a lot of people know that. Uh, so she's on this week, and uh, Elaine and I went to college well many, many, many years ago, and you've worked with her as well. So she's she's a good friend, and uh, sometimes when you get a good friend, they tell you more. And there's a lot oh, coming up. Yeah. There's a lot. There is a lot up. coming. up. I mean, she's so talented, isn't she? Yeah, From her BAFTA award-winning two doors down to comedian, singer, just she's amazing, really. She is. So we look forward to an extended chat with Elaine coming up, not too far away. My son was uh, working as an extra last week and he was in Carlton Hill in Edinburgh and uh, he had to drive an ambulance up Carlton Hill uh, behind the main actor who was in a police car. So they had to whiz up Carlton Hill. So the main actor was Dougray Scott. It's obviously a crime drama thing and uh, they take the measurements of all the extras so they obviously have their uniforms or whatever it is they need to wear for the part. So my son's called Louis and uh, he said he thought they got the measurements slightly wrong because he said at the time he put on the ambulance man's uniform he felt like a stripper. It was so tight. But anyway, so he got into the ambulance and he had to drive it up Carlton Hill behind Dougray Scott. So the guy who had lent or rented the ambulance to the production team, you know, said, right, this is how you drive the ambulance. And and Louis was like, okay, fine. He said, when you get to the top, the plan is you stop behind Dougray Scott's car, you jump out the ambulance, you run round the back and, you know, you open the back of the ambulance and then then we'll cut. He's like, right, okay. And the owner's going, when you stop the ambulance, pull the handbrake on and take the key out. Handbrake on, key out. So Louis's like, handbrake on, key out. So they go, right, action. So Dougray Scott and his car go tearing up Carlton Hill and Louis's like, holy shit, it's really fast. So he's zamping up behind, you know, banging over the, the sleeping policeman or whatever and gets to the top and he's going, okay, handbrake on keys out round the back so they do that and uh, the ambulance starts rolling backwards down the oh hill no. <laughs> oh no yes the guy's ambulance is like they all jump in and he said I told you to put it in park and Louis was like you didn't tell me to put it in park anyway so that was that was an exciting day out but <laughs> no he does a bit of that because he's he's doing a dissertation for the end of his you know postgrad at the moment and it's right. quite good to make a few bob and you get extra money if you drive I don't know if you get extra money if you write the car off but you get extra money if you drive have you done any extra stuff no I didn't actually uh I think you nothing... were on the stage you were in the middle you were commanding the <laughs> no, I did street theatre, I remember one time, Alice in Wonderland, and we did an extract from the play at uh, Seaman Street, actually, and I was the White Rabbit. So it was oh. always nice to see all your neighbours looking at you going, what an idiot. What an idiot. <laughs> and when are you going to get those teeth taken out? <laughs> <laughs> get in touch with John and Alison on What's the Chat podcast at gmail.com.
and a lovely email from Crawford Geddes, who I'm officially calling our marketing guru now, because he's managed to convert his wife to listening uh, to the podcast, yeah, solid, which she's saying is quite ironic, as it was her that had switched him onto the zoo crew many, many years ago when she was on maternity leave. Oh, there you go. But, there you go. Yeah. So, and and he's, 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 he's going through all his friends, probably losing them as we speak, saying to them, listen to this podcast or Alison and John will come around to your house and uh, do it live in your living room. So that's, that's always a good way to get people to turn on. So thank you so much, yeah, Crawford. You, you are thank a doll, you. and we shall um, we shall keep the chat going because it's always it's always nice to hear from you. Um, and in fact, it's nice to hear from anyone that listens. So please get in touch with us at what's the chat podcast at gmail.com or you can find us on all the platforms. Not platforms. Yes, all the. You can find us on all the. <laughs> Platforms one, two, five, and seven. Whatever the station, you can find us there. And ten and three quarters on Harry Potter. Oh, it was lovely. We got a lovely email as well from Gary Sutherland thanking us for uh, the Andrew Cotter book that he won. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. So you're very welcome, Gary. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's lovely. And uh, yeah, and we've got some guests coming up in the future. We've got some guests. We do, but I'm not telling you who they are. And also, um, I was going to say I was chatting to this girl um, who was telling me because you know you're always bumping your gums about. San Fran. Yeah, yeah. Cisco. Well, she said she arrived there in the 80s with her friend and uh, they were looking for a job. So they went to this restaurant, apparently a really very well-known restaurant in San Francisco, seafood restaurant. You probably know it because you practically lived there, really, Ircus, Ircus, in between earthquakes. It wasn't Little Joe's, was it? That was the big seafood place. I oh, it maybe was because she said she went along with her friend uh, just after they arrived. You know, the, you used to just pitch up and ask for jobs in those days. You didn't have to go through all the rigmarole. So they pitched up and the guy said, OK, you know, have you got any waitering, waitering experience? And they went, uh, not really. And he went, do you like oysters? And they went, no. And he went, OK, you've got a job. And they were really taken aback. And apparently the majority of his profits went down the throats of the staff because they all loved oysters so much. Oh, right. So she said okay. they, they worked there for about two or three months, I think, and then left and, and then they went off to you know travel and she said then they tasted oysters and absolutely loved them yeah, so she yeah. kind of understood why but I thought it was a quite an interesting interview process do you like oysters no I've got a job <laughs> get in touch with John and Alison on what's the chat podcast at gmail.com it was up in Aberdeen actually at the weekend Lovely. which was nice I like to get home and uh, to the Doric area again and wow. I always end up speaking like that when I come home and nobody's an idea fit I'm talking about and of course the sun came out yeah. which was a shock yeah I think we've all been in shock there, you know, Isn't my skin is now pink and my freckles are out, <laughs> and I'm delighted. Freckles out. It's, it's funny <laughs> how some people, you know, when they go on holiday, they start to take on the accent. I remember I, I was doing my job swap. To the don't actually, start with no, bloody not, San okay, Francisco. No, no, don't worry, don't worry. Okay. It was that, but anyway, we were meeting <laughs> in Washington. Right? One minute in, in and she's off about the and, and we had to have some lectures or sort of chats with people who had already done the exchange here. So there was yeah. a Newcastle guy who goes, well, I had a great time, you know, we were, <laughs> we were open, don't ski in and stuff like that, you love it, you'll have a great time. And then there was a, a, a somebody else, you know, a Londoner, who said, oh yeah, you'll love it, my honest, it's one of the best things you've done. <laughs> And then this this girl came up and she went, oh, we had a great time. It was one of the biggest years of my life, and I really, really enjoyed it. I was only away for a year, but oh, my God, oh, my God. And I went, so where are you from? Kakati? I'm from Kakati. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, least she didn't, at least she didn't say Kirkcaldy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
No, it's amazing. I've got I've got a bit of an ear for picking up accents myself, and I do notice if I'm speaking to Irish people, I can't help it. I do slip into a bit of the brogue. I can't help it, and it can be embarrassing if you're out for an Indian meal or a Chinese meal. I've been given a kick under the table from my son, but you just pick up the kind of vernacular. You pick up the yeah. I, well, maybe we should stop there, should we? Well, maybe we should move on to an actress or actor, as I call them now, who has many voices and has played many, many characters. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Elaine C. Smith. Well, of course, I certainly am one of the ones that have been blobbing up during lockdown, but Elaine has been blobbing down. Blobbing up for quite a few years, sadly. <laughs> um, I just a combination of far too much work, constantly going from one thing to the other. And I worked out that if I'd put on a pound for every year I'd been touring, I was at least 30 pounds overweight. So, um, And uh, and that's the thing, because it, it didn't go on like all at once, you know, and had two children in between, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, and lots of it not having time. It wasn't that, I was never a person that sat and had, you know, five packets of biscuits one after the other or anything, but consistently eat, overeating at the wrong times and using yeah. food to keep me upright, you know, or just a wee cake. Oh, I'll just have, I'll have a cup of coffee in that and that'll get me going. And then losing weight, putting it back on, blah, blah, blah. So for the first time, in 25 years, I had time. I, I was going to say, I mean, because you are one of the hardest working women in show business. There's no two ways about that, you know, and, and it's an extraordinary, uh, up till this past year, I just wondered how you coped with this past 12 months because, you know, somebody who is always on the go and is used to, as you say, probably being away from home a lot, eating yeah. late at night after you come off stage. Yeah. It must have been, you you must have for the first time in your life almost been forced into a conventional existence, whatever that is. Uh, yeah, whatever that is. Um, yeah, initially, I mean, I was at the Lyceum. I was doing a breast play of all things at the Lyceum and Pantilla. And it's the first time in 30 odd years that, I'd, I had to clear my dressing room before the run had ended. And and all the actors we had to meet, we closed on the 14th of March. We could see we could see it coming and we could also see the um the audiences, you know, we'd have shows that were sold out and then I'd look and think, why is it only half full? And of course people were choosing themselves not to come. Um and uh, that closed and then it was just nothing. Well, I think it helped. It wasn't like you were suddenly out of work and every other actor in the business was, was getting millions. Of was working, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't have that. How did they get that? Bitterness um, <laughs> <laughs> and envy that goes through it all. Um, so, but actually, it was a relief. Part of me, and I hate to say it, although this awful thing was happening, the relief of not having to be, because I'm very involved in politics, I'm patron of 15 charities, not having to be at an after-dinner event or a speaking, a corporate event or a political event or and the and the right to go, sorry, can't, mm. it all ended or, or worrying about that. And it felt odd and weird. But initially the first six weeks was just a, wow, I don't need to do no. it. You know, and and that um, that sort of taught me a lot about what I was doing with my life. 
I mean, your profession is is all about deadlines and not to have a deadline in many ways is actually quite a nice relief. You know, you had it when you were teaching, you had it when you were that time, you had it if you're doing afternoons, you've got to be there at that time, that time. And if you don't have that, all of a sudden this massive weight is off your shoulders. You're absolutely right. That's the, it was, I had no, I have to be in my life. And as a woman, I've always been a people pleaser as well. Do I let people down? So I would take on, oh, that's a really good cause that I said, I know I'm not patronizing, but they've come to me and they've asked if I'll do this. And, and so the fact that I didn't have that anymore, and I, I, I've read, I'm on book 44 <laughs> during lockdown, <laughs> read, uh, you know, watched everyone like everybody else, but looked at, for the first 30 days to keep myself calm, I did yoga on telly, you know, and I thought I should do something like that so that I'm not, you know, with the news coming out constantly, worrying, blah, blah, blah. And then I uh, I thought I need to do something more joyous. And uh, my pal, uh, who's a makeup artist, who does, you know, she's done lots of my shows, she does Mrs. Brown and stuff like that, Nicole, is also a Zumba teacher. So she said, oh, I'm thinking of putting it on. I used to go to her classes when I was able, and she said, put it on right. And I said, I'll do it. She said, I don't know whether it'll work or not. Did it from her living room in Stewarton, and 53 women came on in the first thing. <laughs> and I'm now at class 115, I think. Um, wow. Because I just I found something joyous, and then I thought, the one thing, I'm so lucky, I'm 62, I don't have underlying health issues, unlike so many other people, I'm overweight. And I noticed that loads of people that were getting COVID were were overweight. And I thought, well, here's the time. And so it's been over 11 months. It's not been some sort of miracle. And and I'm always a bit loath about talking about it because I think women are constantly bombarded with what they're not getting right, you know. Oh, no, Mm -hmm. you know this I pick up, you know, women at home in good housekeeping now because I'm that age. And I instantly feel anxious. But I'm, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing stuff. I'm, I'm not. I'm not perfect enough. I always get anxious picking up a magazine because I'm the same. Called Good Housekeeping, you think, what is this? 1951. I mean, it, you know, it's offensive to the eyeball before you actually open the bloody thing. But... Absolutely right. <laughs> my wife, my wife can't even spell Good Housekeeping. It's got to be an enter now. I, I mean, Elaine, after after all, getting you know, doing the old fitness thing, are you sleeping better? Are you eating better? You, you actually, do you feel yeah. more energy? Yeah, um, sleeping better. And here's an interesting thing. I finally got back to the dentist when we were allowed. And uh, all my gum area, everything, uh, you know, they do the uh, hygienist thing. They <laughs> say, um, you know, a remarkable improvement in, in that. Wow. And I think it's, it's obviously just not having a lot of refined sh- And that was a benefit I didn't even think about. But I do, I walk, I walk 10, 15,000. I mean, walking kept me sane. And I started doing a wee thing on my Facebook called Smith Saunters, which is basically basically me walking around the area I live in, Mount Vernon. I did one here in Bercer the other day, talking shite to everybody. Welcome to our podcast. (laughs) That's what I should do. I was like, this is, this is for me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, just about, and I, I did it and then thought, well, Andy, who's caring about it, you know, and, and started talking about how I was feeling, and particularly the last lockdown. 
I found mentally really, I went to dark places at times, you know, of we're never going to go at this as the death toll got up and just, uh, they were just starting the vaccination rollout and stuff. So uh, it, it just, it just really, really got to me. And what was wonderful was when I did it, I couldn't believe the response. Thousands of people going, oh, I've been feeling exactly the same. And, yeah. and I, I think that's what I miss more than anything. And, in this last year is connection. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're um, such a people person. And as you say, um, but I also think, you know, along with the breast cancer campaign that you did some years ago, you know, because you have a, a very high profile, a good public profile, if you ch- choose to bring things like struggling with your mental health during that first period of lockdown, then it makes it seem okay for everybody else to go, actually, God, you know what? I felt exactly the same, overwhelmed by, as you say, negative news. Every time you turned on the telly or picked up a paper, whatever it was, it was too much. You know, it was like, go away. You're powerless powerless to do anything. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, you know, in in my past life, if you like, if if there was an issue, I would think, right, I'm going to do a benefit or I'm going to go and do this charity event to highlight this. There was nothing you could do. You know, no, it, it, it just felt... I just felt lost. I real and I felt like, in a way, I was disappearing. You know, it was a really strange feeling of um, having gone from the liberation of of being a bit invisible uh, to disappearing, but actually more disappearing in myself and thinking, I don't know who I am anymore. You know, it's great because Elaine C. Smith is a sort of a um, a product, if you like, I always say that to Bob that our company, the product is Elaine C. Smith, but I'm actually Elaine Smith or Morton is my married name, and and uh, you know I'm a, a different. Thing. You've known me for a long time. John's known me even longer. He knows who the real person is, and and so letting the Elaine C. Smith go was great. But there you go. Well, who the bloody hell am I? <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, you are Elaine C. Smith on so many different levels. I mean, it's extraordinary. No, but it's so true, though, because, you know, I, I was reminding myself by by checking out, you know, you have got so many strings to your bow. You know, you've got, obviously, you're uh, an actor. You won the BAFTA just 2018 there for uh, oh. two, two doors down. You're a presenter. You're a comedian. You're a stand-up. You're a writer. You co-wrote the Susan Boyle, I Dreamed a Dream musical, which was a very moving and brilliant production. You know, is there anything you can't do, frankly? <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, you know, you do so many things to all of a sudden have that all shut down. It must have been like a big slap in a way. Well, it was, and it was like, um, you know, what was it all for anyway? You know, what was all... And, and my husband, on, on occasions over the years, as I've been running out the door to my third event or whatever, has sat me down going, what is it all for? Yeah. It's not about this house, these children, this marriage, our life, your family. What's it all for? And and I would go, oh, I'll think about that, you know, and run out. I, but it, it was something that was that was nagging away in me anyway. And 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 I think as a woman and the time that I was born into, and, and I, um, I would like to think it's easier for other women, particularly women in comedy, I had to do six jobs compared to the one that a guy could do. Because one, I wasn't earning as much as they were, and I'm not complaining, I've made a very good living, thank you very much. 
but it's been quite a climb. And and it was, you know, a guy does one big drama job or an actor does that and, and suddenly he's the great white hope. I, you know, you only have to look at how many women in Scotland have any film career. Mm-hmm. There's none. You know, Kelly MacDonald possibly um, and maybe a bit of Laura Fraser, but they're not names that trip off the tongue in yeah. the front page of the Daily Record, like a, a, a Ewan McGregor or a Dougree Scott or a, a Bobby Carlyle or blah, 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 go through them all. Um, and no no harm to them, but they're just, it's the industry is so macho. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so therefore, uh, but an American parliament says, look, if nothing else, keep moving. It makes you less of a target. And and I always I always had a, a thing of well why don't I try that? Why don't I do this? But but it, it became even in the early days, you know, I remember Ron Bain saying to me when we were filming naked videos saying, So so what you do in the day, open and govern, you know. Something <laughs> uh, 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 another thing I was rushing to. Um and that that I think for a lot of people has been what I will say is I will never ever go back to working at that piece again. I'm not doing mm. it. Yeah. I just going back to the early days, Elaine. Yeah. I was thinking about naked video and city lights. I mean, obviously everybody have to has to learn their craft. Who who were you learning your craft of in, in the early days? Everybody. Actually, John, I don't want to uh, you know you know bum you up too much here, but actually I learned a huge amount from you. When we were at high school, <laughs> seriously, you and Annette Staines and I, we were a sort of triumvirate sort of uh, trio that went around, and you taught me loads about comedy. And you and Annette were far funnier than I was. You were really quick. I was younger, much younger than considerably uh, <laughs> younger. I knew there was a sting in the tail. I was waiting for. <laughs> But I was, I had never, I'd never really been around that sort of quick. And you were very, very funny. And, and I still remember the Tupper family and all of those. We can't even go there on here. Um, and all that stuff, the, the pranks we did, the laughs we had. But, I, but if I have any advice to any young actors, never, ever think you know it. Watch. Watch and learn it. But and, I mean, what was... So- you worked with some of the big ones, Elaine. You know, in the early yeah. days, you must be going, that's what I want to achieve. I want to get that time and I want to get that delivery. Who, who, who were the names in the frame there? Well, uh, Gregor Fisher, obviously. Gregor has remarkable timing and comedy timing. He's a great straight actor as well. And you'll find that most comedy actors, as you know, are, are, are uh, really good. Uh, it doesn't work the other way. Straight actors are not good comedy actors, but most comedy actors are good straight actors because... As Joni Mitchell would say, laughing and crying, it's the same release, you know, and and being able to do that. So Gregor, um, Dorothy Paul, I have to say, oh, yeah. Dorothy mm-hmm. Paul had learned, uh, had come up through Variety and uh, those really great uh, Clark and Murray, long before my time, but would te- regale you with the stories. And in the steamy, I watched her on the stage and she was able to wait and lift her finger and hold it on. And, and I, I remember thinking, how, how did you do that? But it's the, the confidence to do it. It drives me crazy when I go to the theatre and, and I see young actors who've got great lines just run through it, just run through lines. And I learned that in the early days. Ricky Fulton was 
was fantastic as well to me because he actually, after my first stand-up show, wrote to me to say how he had gone on television. Uh, you know, a perfect timing, perfectly executed. I remember going into Jerry Kelly's dressing room and going, look what I just got. And he went, I've never had one of the raging. I have to say, uh, my uh, 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 departed, and who was once a very, very dear friend, Andy Gray, had remarkable timing. And and also a remarkable uh, cheek. He would do things on stage. You go, how did you? You know, I would get really uh, flabbergasted at, at the audacity of him of not having anything to do with the script for ten minutes. You know, and, <laughs> um, <laughs> but hilarious and um, and that. Uh, uh, after uh, Andy passed away, a friend who was uh, in the Susan Boyle list, who was a great actress singer. She got in touch and said, "What a privilege it had been to be on the stage with both of us because we actually finished each other's sentences." And she had never seen people work that way. So I think a lot of it is is watching the confidence of people, you know, the confidence to go and and do do something like that and hold, particularly live, hold an audience. Don't be mm-hmm. frightened of it. They want to trust you. That's um, another benefit uh, benefit of being a little bit older, though, isn't it? It's just, as you say, having that confidence and knowing that, you know, the roof's not going to come down if you yeah. do stand there and give it the time that it deserves. But uh, And also, it's, it's having done lots of mistakes, having done the gigs where you've gone down like a lead balloon and gone, <laughs> what happened there? Or, or uh, not knowing the room. Not going and doing a gig and then going, oh, this is not, you know, there's a favorite. I remember going to one and doing a bun supper, and uh, and the the it, it was all it was all about royalty and it was all about and and all the toasts were the Her Majesty the Queen and all that. I was like, what am I doing? Here? <laughs> and I, did, I did a gag at the beginning. I was as a, a Celtic fan for many many years, and I, I did a thing about being invited not to, to, it was great to be invited to the inaugural Tommy Burns Supper. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Yeah, right. And then I thought, oh, and then I went, but it's a pleasure to be, because I've never actually been at an event with so many Masons all in the one room, right? Which normally gets a real laugh. Nothing. And then discovered I was sitting next to Lord Elgin, who was then the head of the Masons. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> so, well, you know, you learn from the, the learning. Ones. Yeah, probably more. more. Learn, oh, much more than you learn from the The good ones you come off going, I'm a comedy genius. And, uh, <laughs> I'm old. Drive home going, I'm marvellous. The bad ones cry, well, I'm never doing one of these again. I hate them all. So you learn from them all. But you're right, John, that... It is actually looking at, at watching other people for the wings and going up. I, I watch young actors sometimes, and Johnny Mack, who I work with, is, is wonderful. I was I remember in Panto a couple of years ago watching him, and it was a fantastic uh, thing. He did a wall routine, an old Morgan Rice thing. It was hilarious, but it, it needed a time. And I'm standing in the wings watching and and then and went up and went, I said, see at the end, just come up and do. He's got a catchphrase where he goes, I'm enjoying myself when he falls off the wall. And it, why did I not think of that? And in the same way, he'll say that to me. And then I'll go, you're rushing through that guy, stop. But uh, the the worst thing you can be, I think, is arrogant. 
And I've, I've met a lot of particularly men, I have to say, who don't want to listen, who arrive at 24 thinking they know it all. And you're like, no, you've a, a long way to the, go, but watch. The other, quali- the other quality that you always had at drama college and has continued throughout your life, and it's a quality that not many people had, and that was you had drive. And I remember when you were teaching at Fur Hill and mm-hmm. you were under, I remember Pam Wardell, one of the, oh, one of the great one drama that. teachers, you know, of all time. And I was wondering when you were at Fur Hill, was, was the drive to say, look, I've, I've done this. I need to do something else. I need to fulfill something that's within me. Teaching is not going to do that. Oh, that's a good question. Um, see, I never thought I was full of drive. I just, I just was so pleased MD ever asked me to do it, and I just did everything. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, looking back, I think, why did I think I could do that? Why did what idiot? Other people were just more sensible. I think I, I think I had the um, the Florence Zigfield is going to turn up at the the academy and go her. Yes, I want her. Make we her a star. We dump it when at the end of the role. I'm going to pick her a star. I'd watched too many Doris Day movies. And and so um, it was about approval, and I thought it was going to be a singer more than anything. And then I I loved teaching. I absolutely had a a wonderful time there. But I was was teaching. I'd finished my teaching practice. Um, and I was only 21, 22 or something. You know, 21, I got my first job and then taught for the, and I just felt I had, I didn't have enough life experience. So when I was teaching, I felt there's something more. And I'd kept acting with Edinburgh University Theatre Company. I'd done uh, David Mamet's Sex University in Chicago and, and, and got lots of really good plaudits for that. But I was also involved in politics. So I wanted to do political theatre. And my dream, I don't know whether I was with you or not, John, we went to the Citizens to see, it was our final year, we went to see 784 Theatre Company do Out of Our Heads. And Terry Neeson was in it, Liz McLean and Dave Anderson and all that. And I sat there going, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to be able to sing and play piano and, and be involved in something like that. I never envisaged a tele career. I never envisaged anything that happened there. I just wanted to do that. And when, as Ricky Fulton would say, the opportunity came up, <laughs> I, um, I, I went and auditioned. I was always trying to get John to come out to Wildcat as well because he could play drums and all of that, but um, he was uh, he was dead. I was a civil servant. I was a civil servant. I didn't <laughs> take the risks. See, you took the risks. <laughs> well, I, I just was maybe more stupid. I don't know. But... Uh, Believe you, Elaine. I've tried to get John over the years. I've said, "Come on, let's go into this," and he's like, "No, no, I'm fine, thank you." So, fair enough. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because with somebody with such talent and humour and all, but but it is it is about it's not necessarily about what you've got there. It's about what you choose to do with it, and and it's everybody's decision. And uh, we all know people in life who are fantastic at things, but they actually want to do something else in their life. And that's fair enough. But, um, yeah, I suppose teaching eventually didn't – I'd gone for promotion and I didn't get it. And at the same time, I auditioned for 784. And it felt like the universe went, know this. I know that sounds all very airy-fairy, but I do remember after several drinks 
um, one night <laughs> after Royal, uh, s- sitting with Bob and him saying something about, you know, is it really what you want to do? And, and, and saying, but you could have done or teach, I can't remember what it was. And I went, no, no, this is the right thing. And it was a seven-week contract. My parents were like, eh, you've got a mortgage. <laughs> I've got a house with it. But I, I've never, ever regretted it. I miss the kids and I miss sometimes on an opening night when I'm standing and there's 2,000 people there, I'm standing in the wings, I think, I wish I'd stuck to teach it. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Christmas? I mean, you would have been at home for Christmas the past year uh, because oh, of Panto. That must have been nice. Were you the woman with the turkey? I was, but it's very weird because you couldn't have people around it and you couldn't shop in the same, you couldn't enjoy Christmas in the same way. So all those years of wishing you could have a Christmas off and it was bizarre. We, we're lucky in that. It sounds very grand, but we, we had an old Victorian house in Glasgow and uh, in a lovely area that we've lived for 25, 30 years. And um, our, daughter, our oldest daughter, Katie, and um, my granddaughter, and obviously Katie's husband, Sean, um, we're looking for a house in our area. They had lived with us for a year, because it was a big house, um, when the baby was born, when my granddaughter was born, while their house was being built. But it was a new build and they knew, were moving on and they would love to move back to our area. So Bob walked in two and a half years ago and, and went, why don't we just convert here? Because we, we're going to have to sell this because Hannah was away in a flat, uh, the youngest as well, and we we're rattling around here. So I was like, what? And we an architect in, and, of course, we did it. You know, six months of hell getting it done. But they now have a four-bed uh, conversion upstairs, and we have a three-bed downstairs, and we share the garden. Oh, so great. we were all one household, technically. Oh, all- lovely. So you got your and hands that- on your granddaughter then, all during lockdown? Every day, oh, at school, and and they're both in banking, so they were working from home. And then our other daughter Hannah, um, they t- went for a test. They got tested and isolated, and they came for Christmas. But that was it. We couldn't really, we couldn't really do it. But but so much luckier than most. But it didn't feel like the release. Although I did feel really bad because people like Johnny Matt and loads of people who. I just, you know, love show business. But we're going, oh, my God, oh, my God, Christmas. I was like, yes! <laughs> I'm not the day. <laughs> You'll be back on this year, though, hopefully. Is it Cinderella at the Kings? Is that the plan? Or do we know yet? No, I honestly don't know. I mean, they moved our contracts and everything. I'm on a deal with Kudos, and they moved our contracts, but we have a no definite word. It will be about safety and security and I do remember thinking when it was muted about us doing some of the stuff they were doing in England of um you know a shortened version no interval no dancers smaller band all of that I, but I do remember having a terrible fear about oh but what if somebody came and they got it you know that I, I, I would I'd never forgive myself I'd feel awful about it and um, so when it was taken out of our hands, when the government went, no, theatres in Scotland are staying closed, um, there was a relief in a way that we didn't have to make that decision. And, and we would just have to see it because health, and it, may, it sounds really, but that matters. Mm-hmm. That matters. 
But I do know they've got things like algorithms now that can book tickets for families together, that um, the theatres will have to look completely different, you know, whether it's air conditioning systems or whatever that is put in. How do how do you make it? You know, the um, the King's Edinburgh, the, the the toilet that you use is the same one as the crew use, and that's mm-hmm. number one in two dressing. You know, same in the Lyceum. So the, the theatres are are they're they're so expensive in many ways, but old Victorian theatres really have a lot to do. So whether it happens or not, it would be you know we'll see. But television. But Sorry. What about the two door? What about the two doors down then? What's the production future with that then? What's happening now? Well, it's been postponed three times, but we start filming at the end of May. Fantastic! And we're doing a Christmas special. Um, so, but well, you managed. All, you did a Christmas special last year, didn't you? Because that we, you were actually on telly quite a lot over Christmas. It was like, oh, there's Elaine. Oh, hello, there's Elaine, which was great. No, not at all. For goodness' sake, it was nice. You feel yeah, like you know, the world is the world is good. The world is still <laughs> turning. We're doing Pride of Scotland, but and it was a weird experience that, that to go back and on the last night, uh, John will remember nights like this. I'm sure you and Alison, uh, you and I have been in on occasion in uh, events like this where we were all tested, so we all knew we were fine. So all the cast were a bubble. So we and we were isolated in Dalmahoy, which was very oh, nice. Oh, nice, nice. So it was terrible prison-like. And uh, so we were in Dalmahoy for nine days or something. So we get tested and then so we weren't allowed to go anywhere else. We're, only three of us were allowed to be transported and, you know, the, uh, the, the cars or, and all of that sort of stuff. And um, not even makeup and all that I had to wear the big masks and um, weren't allowed to touch us. So all that stuff and costume as well. So it was a strange, but but because we were all together on the last night we got finished, um, we we had champagne and Dune and Arabella and I had champagne in the in the car, and uh, we got into the hotel. And of course, at that point, you weren't allowed. You we said. You know, the bar was closed. And we were like, but we're all tested. Could we go into the wee private room? And they, get, they were very strict. Meant, look, and we went, look, we understand, we understand. And uh, But the weird thing was you were allowed in a bedroom. But what was great was the uh, the guy manager came along and he said, we have a suite, which, and there was only about six of us by then, uh, that is empty if you want. And they gave us a couple of bottles of Prosecco or whatever and set it up. <laughs> well, we danced. We had, <laughs> we had soul classics on. And there you were. Oh, Alex Norton, jo- uh, Johnny Watson had gone home uh, to Glasgow. He had to drive back. The boys, Kieran and Jamie, uh, and three old birds basically dancing. It was joyous. Because we were able to hug each other and all that as well, you know. Didn't feel too hot the next day, but it, no. <laughs> it was like a burst of of emotion, you know. That and we were sort of tearful. We couldn't believe we were able, because we did all these months where we weren't able to hug people and went so. Um, and then uh, I did Pride of Scotland. I did a couple of other things, and then nothing. Mm-hmm. Literally November till May, nothing. So it's been so. Yeah, I start on a series as well uh, next week, um, 
and uh, so I've got things coming up, but it, that's it was very weird. It's exciting the the amount of uh, attention there is at the moment in the film industry coming into Scotland. You know, there's uh, obviously two very healthy looking studios and lots of other productions that are coming yeah. up now. So there's been a real, seems to be a real sea change in that, uh, because I know that a lot of people for a long, long time have been campaigning for, uh, you know, Scotland to be considered as a, a proper location for all these large uh, international companies. Well, they, they lost things like um, all those years ago, they lost Braveheart. They did four weeks here and then the rest was done in Ireland because Ireland went, come on, here you go. Um, you know, we'll not get any politics, but it's about how, how you can, how you as a country can actually um, accentuate things that you can do yourself. You know, you could see it during the pandemic. There were certain things that Scotland was able to do differently because it had powers to do it. The film industry is one of those things and, and television and media. I mean, the studio we film in down in Dumbarton is where they, they film River City and it's a converted whiskey bond. It's freezing. It's bomb. <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, it's not a custom-built studio. So literally, during a lot of two doors down, you're sitting with a blanket and a hot water bottle, <laughs> seriously, yeah. on, um, on your lap. And, and poor Dune, who's always in short skirts and all of that sort of stuff, is, uh, as soon as her take is done, she's into her Ugg boots and a, and a big dressing room <laughs> sitting there. Because, okay. uh, you know, if you're filming in winter, but um, because we don't have that custom-built, facility it is really sad the stv you know who do a lot of product here they built all that new building with no studio in it a tiny wee studio you know that the news is done and everything yeah no yeah you could get an audience so it, it's about foresight and about seeing you know outlander they're able to do i think up in the big one in uh, near cumbernauld but that's the one and they've let because it's so huge they've got it for months and months of the year um so hopefully hopefully the scottish government will i know they've got lots of priorities but but it, it it's a really really important part of of who we are i think mm-hmm. and and when you see programs like Tudor, i mean during lockdown i mean it always get good viewing i mean we're up at like 39 million on iplayer that's great so yeah it's just caught I suppose it's, it, it represents what all of none of us had, doesn't it? It's just like hanging out with your neighbours and your family and all having a few drinks and having a carry-on and That's banter. Right. You're not able to get your neighbour, Christine, out of your house. <laughs> 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 she's, such a, she's such a joy because she's such a monster to play, you know. <laughs> but now, is she based on anyone, Elaine? Is she based on anyone? Uh, several people. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I I hasten to say, my mother. You know, I'm I'm thinking of my mum today. Uh, this is uh, actually it's quite a lovely thing to be doing this today. I've got a candle lit because my mum died this day 16 years ago. Oh, and so the fourth of May is always a a sort of a day. And and because I'm here, our ashes are in the river and killed. And and so I always go down and put flowers in on this day. So I'll be doing that later. But it should be raging if I said, given the way Christine looks, that she reminds me of my mother. What should do is slip into that river later on today. <laughs> uh, there's, uh, there's certain phrases and that under the breath thing of a film. That's not the way, you know, that sort of thing my mother would do. 
<laughs> There's no a bunny or hang of the right way. Look at that, you know, while while going, hello, nice to everybody. <laughs> But and and I think it captures that. I know Shane Allen, I think, who's the head of comedy down in London, after the first series came back and said, "Could Christine swear more, please?" And I thought it would be the opposite. And I have to say, all the swearing is written. I don't just throw it in. Um, and I think I'm it's sorry. Done, sorry. sorry yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The writers who who have a notion that she's she, my mum's in there, but some of my aunties, women I've met that. That, you know, that women, particularly from the west of Scotland, are supposed to, you know, the men run everything. No, they do it. The women run everything. And that past remarkable. What do you mean the west of Scotland? I know. Well, you're right. Well, what is wonderful is in Aberdeen, Aberdeen actually were the biggest fans of it right from the start. Oh, right. Uh, well, we've always had impeccable teeth, obviously. Oh, your, your uh, hometown, but but I remember being Aberdeen and being stopped more there than it. Sorry, Alison, I interrupted you. There. Not at all. No, I was I was interested to ask uh, is, uh, Gregor Sharp is the writer yeah. of yeah. Did he used to be a Sam producer? Sam. Did he used Sam. to be a producer at STV, Gregor? Uh, I think he was. He's now head of commissioning as well. Oh, no, because he was. I think he produced one of the early shows I did a long time ago. It was a festival show, chat show type thing, uh, and we had such a laugh together. Um, oh, and I just thought, it's, uh, good for him. Though. It's a great success for for you know. Well, jumping he went on and did. Uh, I think we got into BBC and got into commissioning, and. Um, is in London most of the time, and apparently two doors down was an accident of happening that Gregor and Simon, and I had known Simon Carlyle, he was an actor and he did a, or a, a series that didn't go anywhere but was very funny about a, a transvestite or something like that years ago. It was very funny. Um, and they wrote a thing that Ford Kiernan did set in a caravan park, which wasn't, it, it wasn't bad, so it just wasn't executed very well. Um, down in Ayrshire, and that got a couple of C's. But Gregor had gone up the more corporate end, I think, of things, and they had done this script for New Year, two, do- two doors down, the first New Year episode, which I was in, I'd like to do, because um, I was in Panto in Aberdeen. Um, and apparently, um, that was it. Simon told me later on that Arabella knows this, so it's no insult to her, that they, they had thought of me to play Beth, Oh, right. So it's really, you know, fortunate for me in lots of ways. Absolutely, because that that character, Christine, just fits you like a glove. You know, I mean, you've brought her to life, as you say, monster, hilarious monster. Hilarious, awful monster. You wouldn't want to live next year. But apparently they had something else set up for BBC uh, One and it fell through with some big star and that script was on the shelf. And and Greg was sitting there and goes, well, what about that? And they cast it really, really quickly, did the pilot, and it was a surprise success. And about a year and a bit later, Bob had said to me, oh, that thing that, because John and I know Johnny Watson very well, that thing that Johnny Watson and Alex Norton is a dear, dear pal did, he said, it was really good, it was fresh, it was different, it was he setting a house and scheme and it wasn't dark, blah, blah. And, of course, as an actor, you immediately get very jealous and through gritty <laughs> Oh, was it? Was it good? Oh, no. Um, raging. Um, and I, so I saw in the press that they were going to make a series. So I just said to my agent, look, if anything came up in that, you know, mad woman at bus stop, I'd happily go and do it. 
And and when to meet them thinking that's what I was I was going for. And then the next thing I was playing the wonderful Sharon Rooney's mom and 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 Christine just sort of exploded from there, you know. So and it was again things like that in my life are sort of weird fate comes along, you know. And, well, they'll have and- to give you some body padding when you're back on settling because you're looking fab. You really are. I think you're looking great. You are. I think lockdown has agreed with you. As uh, you know, there's well, swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Swings and roundabouts. I've shed uh, the the three stone of Elaine C. Smith I was carrying about with me on my shoulders. You well, know that the weight of it, and and it's sort of quite liberating, you know. You did something in your career that I would be absolutely scared of. You did mastermind celebrity. Yes. What was that like? And Joni Mitchell, you mentioned her before. That was your chosen subject. Yes. Terrifying. It was, uh, and everything, you know, like me, I thought, oh, it's for charity. I'll go and do it for charity. And uh, that's a great thing. And my young sister had gone through a stem cell transplant a few years ago, so I did it for the charity. That, and so I thought, right, very noble. And they get into it. Fortunately, my other sister, Louise, um, you know, she loves quizzes. So she got me out to the house one night, a couple of weeks before, with a black chair in the middle of the living room. Oh, <laughs> all a bit pissed, I have to say. Um, and she had a list of 100 questions about Joni Mitchell because our man Jimmy is mad about Joni Mitchell as well. Now, what I should have done is said, Joni Mitchell between the, the years 1965 to 1986. <laughs> I couldn't, uh, because of course, Jodie's had 32 albums. She's an artist. <laughs> you know, so I, I thought, oh, they'll go for it. And, and my, my specialised knowledge, if you like, and adoration of her is that time. So it was John Humphreys. You go there. They don't even let you know who else is on. Oh. You don't meet the other contestants before you go in. You go into makeup. They look at what you're wearing. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then uh, ten, you're only two hours before, and then da 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 da. Well, I mean, I'm sitting there, and my husband Bob's gave me a great tip. He's, he'd seen Jimmy McGovern do it, and he said, "Sit forward in your chair and listen." And it, you know, when you sit like that, you're frightened. Mm-hmm. But actually, I sat on the edge of my chair and I listened, and uh, I did okay. You know, just I thought if I get yeah. three right, I'll be fine. I was second. And I, did, I did better in my my general knowledge than I did in my in Joni Mitchell. I got twelve in Joni Mitchell and thirteen in general knowledge. I have to say that's excellent. I was watching it just about a week ago, and there was a poor girl that got three, and it was like oh. that was oh, you're just dying for them. You're like oh God, what a shame. Well, your mind goes, your mind goes to a weird place, and, and you're like John Humphreys. Oh my God, and there's no <laughs> smiling. There's no. There's no, uh, and then uh, you have no briefing about the questions beforehand or anything. It's almost like they want to make it as terrifying as they can. And you're put on edge. And I thought, oh, they'll throw in a couple. You'll get a couple of questions just so you don't look like an idiot. No. And uh, there was Michael Burke who won my episode. Michael Burke got 17 or something, but he chose one novel and Ah. got 17. And then went to pieces in the general knowledge. And afterwards, when we were all having a drink and everything, Michael Burke said, they asked me a question, who was the president of Russia? And it was Gorbachev was the answer. He said, I was the BBC special correspondent. <laughs> and he couldn't remember. 
So so it does something very weird to you, but I never, ever will do it again. Well, I think you mentioned you you mentioned River City, and you have been asked. Yes, uh, is that something in the future? You're just not ready for it yet, or what's the script? I just, I mean, funnily enough, at the same time as Two Doors Down, they came. uh, River City came, and and I've got a whole thing about you know all countries are allowed a soap opera. I think there's a real snobbery about um, about so you know. So Brazil kind of won and, and America kind of hunters and all other countries, but Scotland never has one. It's not, what's this? So there was a real sneering about it. I remember when it started, a woman came up to me in Tesco and said to me, Elaine, you're not going into that river city, are you? <laughs> and I went, uh, no, not at the moment. I said, why do you not like it? She says, have you heard the way they talk? And I went, I like you. I like you. But but we're sort of brought up to believe that having a heavy working-class accent, there's nothing worse for me than seeing very middle-class people do working-class accents, where they go into all that, (laughs) that's not real. Come from the truth, and then you can make it funny. And even that was one of the best compliments I ever got when I started doing Mary Ness, but a woman came up to me in Buchanan Street and said to me, you're that lassie, ain't you, after that? I was young then. You're that lassie after that. And I said, yeah. And she said, hen, nobody does a Glasgow woman like you. And that was like an Oscar for me. Absolutely. And, you know, because, because people are very aware when they get patronising things right away. So um, I, when they came to me, I, I was like, well, well, why wouldn't I? Maybe this is the time to do it. But Two Doors Down came at exactly the same time. And... If I if I did go in, I'd want to go in, you know, I suppose I've always wanted to run. I'd run the pub, but I'd want to be more of a bet Lynch than... Um, oh, yes. You know, <laughs> I think it needs humour and, and a bit of that in it. No disrespect, I've got great pals in it and great actors in it, but... No, I think you're right, all- though. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got the, uh, I, w- I was going to say a tart with a heart. That's not actually fair, but, you know, that is that warm, embracing... Yeah. yeah. As you see, and Glasgow is uh, the most humorous place on the planet. So it's true, though. And and the banter and the chat is is something that you know is is world renowned. So it probably does not. A, a guy, just classic builder. In fact, uh, Morag Fullerton told me when they started uh, River City, she was directing it, and the wonderful writer Peter McDougall had uh, she had quoted a line from him. And it was uh, the builders were all sitting around who were finishing building the pub, and and she she had said at one point the producers you need a bit of humour in here, you know builders are really funny, and uh, she went what do you mean? And she says well you know like uh, if if it's raining outside there's there was a great bit uh, uh, why are you not your work it's raining uh, look at it, it's raining well what do you mean hey Gene Kelly wouldn't go in that you know that's <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. that just says so much. I, and a, a builder at Palers the other day, I was phoning me, asking some, and uh, I said to him, "How are you doing through all the pandemic, Nevin Gary?" And he went, "Aye." He says, "This two meter thing, I'm quite liking it. You know, it's good for me." I said, "How?" And he said, "Well, normally it's a barge pole between me and women, so getting it done is two meters." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And I was, I like that was just a phone call, you know, so. Um, right. I, I think you're right, uh, and so for for me, I think a bit of 
of humour and all that would be great. But I, but I would never I would never say no. <clears throat> well, I would say, Elaine, that, you know, given you've had this nice period of time, well, nice period of time, I would say, given you've had this period of time to just decompress and, you know, reassess everything and just look forward to what you are going to do and pick and choose, obviously, because as you say, you don't want to be as incredibly busy as you have been in the past. I have no doubt that no matter what you do end up doing will be superb. And John and I just want to thank you hugely for coming on the podcast today. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure uh, to do it. Great, to, great to see you. It's great to see you, <laughs> even though John. I know John's bloody camera, honestly. Uh, my mother sends uh, regards, by oh, the way. She, she was asking for you. Who was I talking to the other day? Oh, Lynn Crossing came up at the weekend to the cottage, Lynn and Andy. Right. And I was saying I was doing this, and I was saying, I can't remember why I was talking about Cumley Bank or some, and, and then I said, Oh, it was so wonderful. John came to see Annie. And brought his mum uh, yeah, to see. Yeah. What age is your mum now, John? She's uh, she was eighty nine last month, but I'm the sort of target as I go down twice a day. And one of you were talking about lines. One of the other days, she says that you do nothing for me. I says I took you to Morrison's yesterday. She goes, I know, but you didn't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm supposed to put on a clown's outfit and juggle down yes. aisle three or something. <laughs> I know how much you love her. You'll do that. Absolutely. You've got to cherish the mum. You've got, you've got indeed. I have such great memories. It was our graduation, remember, John? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we all, we, your mum and dad and my mum and dad and Gwen. And Gwen, Gwen, that's we right. All yeah. went, we all went for our uh, celebratory meal because we'd graduated right. together. Oh, Oh, well, that's that's a long, well, I won't say that's a long time ago. I shouldn't say it like that. I should say, well, you two go back a long way and it's lovely to see and hear the pain of you back. 45 years or something. Elaine, we could have been barman and barmaid at the Ivanhoe for the rest of our life in Buchanan Street if it hadn't worked out. (laughs) I I could have been running that place. And we could have done a wee cabaret at night. Because I it's see opportunity missed. All right. well, Listen, the, you the, and the, Johnny Watson. Johnny Watson, we have that as well because we met Johnny Watson around. He was the year below us, and uh, you know, I, I I was always very very attractive to Johnny when he did at least five pints, but oh, <laughs> only five. Yeah, but so yeah, it wasn't too much. So was the bar stool next to me. You know, <laughs> I was kind of that. I never took a compliment. <laughs> yeah, but it was a swiveling stool, you know, don't down <laughs> yourself too much. Oh, well, listen, let's keep in touch and we'd love to have you on again at a later stage once things are back up and running. And I haven't been in Edinburgh in a year. Well, let's so, tell you what, let's, let's do a wee lunch sometime, the three of us. I would love that. Yeah, that I would be a hoot. Do that. That's a date, as they say. It has to be with drink. No, you guys stay away from it, but I think on a special date. I think we'll make an exception. But John doesn't do solids, as you know, so we'll be fine. Solids are for solids are for softies. Solids are for softies. That is your uh, epitaph. Right. Lovely right, to see you. And, Take uh, care, yeah, darling. Yeah, we'll see you for a pint soon, my darling. Bye. See you soon. Thanks Bye. again. Bye. Bye.